0: For a study this week, we're in the book of Hebrews. So let's take our Bibles and turn there. I was driving yesterday down in Illinois, and I passed a church that simulcasts one of the most popular preachers in the country. He writes and um, preaches very positive and very non-confrontational messages that, um, to his acknowledgement, don't address sin, don't really address personal responsibility in terms of our sin, but instead kind of emphasizes thinking good thoughts and believing in ourselves and that if we do that, everything will be all right and God will give us everything we want. And I got to tell you, for a moment, I was a little jealous because I thought I would love to preach that kind of message today. Something simple and easy that that no one would be offended by, no one would be challenged about. We just all go home feeling really good about ourselves and have some lunch and be happy. But very quickly, the Holy Spirit checked me and said, um, no, that's not what the word of God does. And that's not what I do. My job is to teach. And my job, he said to me, is to call people to uh, the issues in their life and to change them. And, you know, if, if thinking positively and believing that nothing bad will happen um, worked, it would work. But it doesn't. It doesn't help marriages that are fractured. It doesn't help relationships that are damaged. And it doesn't promote Unity in the church. Often the Word of God is challenging and often the Word of God is confrontational because the Holy Spirit is using that to shape us and to conform us to be more like Jesus Christ. And even when He exposes our sin and even when He calls us to change, He does so in a way that encourages us and He tells us, and this is the part I love about Scripture, even though I'm confronting you, I am giving you the power to walk in holiness. I'm giving you the power because of your faith, because I have transformed you, because I indwell you, if that's true, if you're a believer this morning, then I will give you the power to change. And I will bless you and I will help you to be holy. And that holiness will be the only thing that will bring you joy and contentment and peace and unity in your life. So as we've been going through this series Uh, That's called the spiritual physical. We've had to look at some really challenging topics, but they've been important topics. What we allow into our mind, what we view with our eyes, what comes out of our mouths. Last week, whether we stop the progression and temptation and sin. This morning, we're going to look at something that is really one of the most dangerous things that can not only affect our physical body, but also our spiritual health. Sometimes in surgery, and I've seen this happen um, to many people that have gone through surgery, sometimes uh, as surgery is being done on the internal organs, the bowel can get perforated. And when the bowel gets perforated, bacteria seeps into the abdominal cavity. And when bacteria seeps into the abdominal cavity, if it's not caught right away, it can cause a lot of problems. Widespread infection, if it's really not addressed, it can even go to the point of causing gangrene. Now, a similar condition takes place when a hole in the bile duct system, I know we're talking about lovely subjects this morning, right? When a hole gets in the bile duct system and the bile starts to seep out. Now, when that happens, it causes a problem because the the bile is held in the gallbladder. Remember that word? The bile is held in the gallbladder and it helps with digestion. But when that acid that's in thy digestive bile gets out into the abdominal cavity, it causes great pain and great discomfort. Now, in both cases, there is a fluid, there's something that's toxic, and that toxicity starts to eat away at healthy tissue, and it creates larger problems. It creates significant discomfort. It creates um, situations where healthy things are starting to become unhealthy. And really, if it's not addressed, it becomes life-threatening. Now, a similar condition can take place spiritually. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about and in a moment what the writer of James is talking about. This happens spiritually when bitterness and resentment and lack of forgiveness are allowed to exist in our heart and mind. And this has the exact same cumulative effect that bacteria and bile does. It eats away at our spiritual, emotional, and relational health. And we may look fine on the outside. We may even make it a, our intent to put on a good front. How you doing? I'm doing great. Everything's super. Doing fine. Yeah, Lord's good. And we give these little phrases and we say things that, that make it seem like there are no problems, but inside we're churning and inside we're being eaten away. And when we hold on to that bitterness and resentment, it, it undeniably affects our relationships, not only with the person that we're struggling with, but with those around us. Now, this I have found over years of doing ministry and watching this and even contributing to it sometimes, this presents a huge danger. It will eat away and erode our marriages. It will eat away and erode our families. It will go after relationships and friendships, and it will affect church. It will affect ministry. It will affect qualification for ministry. And this, as a pastor, and I've talked to many other pastors about this over the years, this is one of the saddest things to watch when it's happening, when people don't deal with the issues. Now, this is what the writer of Hebrews says uh, here in chapter 12, and this is where I want to focus this morning for a little while, Hebrews chapter 12, and then in a couple minutes we're going to jump over to James chapter 3. But let's just look at two verses this morning. You're wishing I was that positive guy right now, right? Look at chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Now, look at the phraseology there, because the words are important, and the writer uses the phrase, A root of bitterness, which he says can spring up and cause trouble. Now, the way that's written indicates that it starts with a seed of bitterness. A root always comes from a seed. So there is a seed of bitterness that is allowed to germinate. And instead of being extinguished, instead of being cut off before it gains life and grows, uh, what happens is it becomes fed and nurtured. Now, not to bore you too much, but look at a couple more words. The word root there literally means offspring. So there's a sense that it has been birthed, that this little seed of bitterness, this little rub, this little thing that bugs us, now starts to grow, and it becomes birthed into something bigger. And as it's being birthed into something bigger, it becomes a root of bitterness. Now, bitterness is a very, uh, the Lord's not messing around here when he uses the word bitterness. Because the word bitterness here is not gentle. In the original language, it means bitter gall. Remember, the gallbladder produces the bile. It means bitter gall that produces, um, that is produced by extreme wickedness and bitter hatred. Now, here's what the Lord's telling us: If we're not careful that little rub, that little seed of bitterness, that little thing that just oh, really hurt me, it really bugged me, it really offended me, you did something, I'm annoyed by it. If we allow that to, to germinate, it will start to produce extreme wickedness and bitter hatred. Now, this is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. If we're not careful, this will grow and it will combust. Now, none of us this morning, I guarantee us, would would think that we're guilty of such a strong description. And maybe we're not. But the point is, this is written to us to to confront us as believers. The passage, the book is written to the Jews, that all scripture is profitable for our hearing and correction and instruction and training and righteousness. So we're not exempt here. If you look back at chapter 11, you see that that, that is the great chapter on people whose faith was exemplary, his faith went beyond what we would understand and who trusted the Lord in a way that, that we really don't understand well. Uh, but he's writing to the Jews and he is saying, look, look back at your forefathers. Look at these people who went before you. They walked by faith. And then he goes into the start of chapter 12, as you see. I know there's no chapter divisions as it's originally written, but you go into the start of chapter 12, and he says, Now, look at Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and he's the perfect example of how to live righteously. And here's why the writer's writing. Look at verse 3. He says, Part of the reason I'm writing is so you and I don't grow weary and lose heart. That's a constant temptation, especially when we're in relational difficulty. We start to lose heart and we start to get frustrated and we start to feel weary of it and we just want to kind of give up. And and that's a constant temptation. And the Spirit is saying to us here, there are times you've got to endure this because you've got to be disciplined so that the fruit of righteousness will abound. In other words, not the seed of bitterness that's germinating, I want to produce the fruit of righteousness. How many want the fruit of righteousness in their lives this morning? I want it to abound in my life. Not just, I got a little bit of fruit of righteousness, but I've got all this junk over here. I want all that junk gone, and I want the fruit of righteousness to just abound. And that's what the Spirit says will do. If you allow this to be put away, the Spirit will produce this fruit in our lives. Now, much of the problem for the first century Jews was that they resented the Gentiles. This is what the book of Galatians really is about. The Jews who got saved, the Jews who loved the Lord, still had a resentment that the Gentiles were included in the family of God because we knew the Jews took great pride in being the chosen people. They were the ones that God had chosen in the Old Testament, and he had worked with them, and he had blessed them, and he had given the lamb all the way back to Genesis 12 with Abraham. So they were the chosen people, and the Gentiles were scum. The Gentiles were evil and wicked, and there was nothing good that could be in a Gentile. Well, then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm dying for everybody. Faith in me produces salvation to anyone who believes. And the Jews struggled with that. And then you've got Paul, and Paul is assigned not to the Jews because he was the highest Pharisee. He's assigned to go preach to the Gentiles. And the gospel spreads to the Gentiles, starting at Pentecost. And it spreads out through Asia Minor, and it spreads out through the Roman Empire. And the Jews are kind of feeling like, hey, what about us? We're the chosen people. And Paul in Galatians writes and says, listen, you guys are stuck in this. You're even asking the Gentiles who are saved to abide by the Jewish law. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is by faith in Christ. So as the book of Hebrews is written, and we don't know who wrote it, probably Paul, but we can't prove it. The author writes to the Jews and said, look, some of you are still struggling with the fact that the Gentiles are included in the body, and you need to cut it out. He doesn't use that terminology, but you get the point, right? You need to cut it out. They're just as accepted in the body as we are. In fact, we've been so stuck in our tradition of thinking that we can be saved by works, and we were wrong, because look at all the examples. Abraham, Moses, Rahab, they were all saved by faith. Their works didn't mean anything other than it prompted them to have greater faith in Christ, and in the Lord. So he pushes them backwards and says, look, we, we can't be divided here. As believers in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again and changed our lives, there can't be division. We're one body with one Lord and one faith. That's the motivation. Look down at verse 14. That's the motivation behind verse 14. He says, now, listen, you Jews who don't believe in Christ, you have to come to Christ. You Jews who do believe in Christ, you got to settle down. Here's the motivation. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification which no one will see the Lord. That's a reference to salvation being only by grace, the grace of God. And then the Spirit indicates just how serious this root of bitterness can be. He says it not only defiles many, meaning that when we have a root of bitterness, it doesn't just affect us and possibly the other person. It affects a lot of people around us. He says that not only defiles many, but look at the next phrase. It causes us to come short of the grace of God. Now, I try to think how to really explain that. The Lord really needs to help us right here. But here's what I understand from that. When the grace of God has not transformed someone's heart because they have been resistant to repentance, bitterness takes hold. For everybody that does not know Jesus Christ this morning, everybody that does not trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, there is bitterness there, and self then demands to be in charge. And when self demands to be in charge, it must be fed by more sin. Let me give you a strange example that I debated telling you. I got in my car this morning to warm it up, waiting for the family to come out, turned the radio on, changed the station, and there was some kind of rap. I I don't know why there was a station that was playing rap on a Sunday morning. And I listened to the rap. I never do that, but I did this morning. And the guy was saying, oh, I want you back, and I'm so sorry, and I've done wrong, and we just got to get this right. And then the last line of his rap was, but if you don't come back, I'm going to tie you to a bed and burn down the house. And I thought, well, that's edifying. Edifying. See, there, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, right? I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. The bitterness that's there. Oh yeah, I want it a certain way. If you don't do it my way, you better watch out. And that's what self demands. And that's why bitterness is allowed to persist. But then there's a contrast To the person who's saved because Christ transforms us, right? How many are glad for a renewed mind this morning? He transforms our mind. So this attitude, this bitterness, this resentment, this gall, this bile is not allowed to persist because that's not characteristic of a person who knows Christ. So if that persists, and this is his point here in the text, If that is there, if that resentment and anger and bitterness and hostility towards somebody exists, then we have to say that person's really not living under the loving, sacrificial, joyful grace of God. And they actually even have to, according to the text, start to say, has God's power even transformed me in the first place? Not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. If this persists, if this is the attitude, if this is characteristic of you, you got to start to question, do I really understand the grace of God? Because the grace of God changes our hearts. And if we're walking in the fullness of Christ, we're walking in the fullness of righteousness. We're walking like Christ. Now, that's how destructive and damaging this emotional toxicity is. And sometimes we get so worked up in our relationships by by something that soured or someone that did something unfair, unjust, and we become full of resentment and we get kind of so full of ourselves that it not only changes our thinking, then it starts to change our behavior and then it starts to show in our demeanor. And you know what the devil does? He comes in very quickly to try to divide. Once he sees that gap, once he sees that weakness in the armor, he says, oh, I'm going after that. So here's what happens marriages start to fall apart over minor issues that people don't want to let go of. Relationships start to divide because hostility is allowed and then they start to get permanently damaged because somebody didn't forgive and somebody didn't say I'm sorry and somebody held on to the bile instead of purging it. And it goes quickly from an emotional and a relational issue then to affect us spiritually. And it starts to rob us of our joy. And it starts to undermine our faith. And it creates then feelings of a hostility to the Lord. Lord, why did you take care of this? Lord, why don't you correct that person? Lord, why don't you change that person? Lord, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And our prayer then stops being gracious and humble. And it starts to be selfish. And we start to demand things from the Lord. And you know what happens after that? Then it starts to hinder our ministry. And the thought of outreach... The thought of reaching out to the community and saying, hey, look at the love of Jesus Christ and how it's transformed me, but don't sit me next to that person. Right? Why would anybody want to come to that? I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the danger. Why would people want to be near that? Why would they say, oh, yes, let's go to that place where people can't stand each other and talk about the love of the Lord? This is the danger. So what do we need to do? Let's get back into the text. We need to understand some of the contributing factors to the problem. And then we need to learn how to deal with them so they don't defeat us. So let's start with a couple reasons. Why do we become bitter? Let me give you a couple lists this morning. Why do we become bitter? I think there are four reasons or at least four main reasons that the Lord gave me. Why we become bitter. And these, in many ways, can be justified in our thinking. Number one. We become bitter when we're misunderstood. Number two, we become bitter when we're criticized. Number three, we become bitter when we're treated badly. And number four, we become bitter when we're unappreciated. When we're misunderstood, when we're criticized, when we're treated badly, and when we're unappreciated – we start to get frustrated because each of those things is personal and they're painful. We're attacked in some way. Our pride is wounded. We're hurt. We're emotionally uh, uh, set back. And it seems very unfair and very hard to expect. And, and, and in many ways, it seems justifiable. And that may be true. Let's give ourselves some latitude. It may be true to a certain extent. There have all, we've all had experiences where we've become wounded, right? Where somebody's hurt us, where we've been damaged, where somebody's been unkind, where we've been unappreciated, where where it's been awful. We can't just slough that off and say, well, we're just gonna smile and be happy and think good thoughts. Those times hurt. And yet, if we allow them to persist, and we start to dwell on them, that seed of hurt becomes that root of bitterness because we've allowed it to persist. And what makes it even worse, listen now, is the more we're hurt, the more we're inclined to hold on to the pain. The more we are hurt, the more we're inclined to hold on to the pain and to the grudge and to the resentment to that person, especially when they don't ask for forgiveness and try to reconcile it. Now, if we don't deal with this, In a biblical way, if we don't deal with this righteously, we're going to tend to take one or more of four damaging actions. There are four actions that we take when we're bitter. When we are not walking with the Lord, when we're not being sanctified, when we're not turning it over to him and saying, God, I need your help because I'm wounded. And my initial reaction in my gut and my humanity is to get back at the person and to cause them pain because they've wounded me. When when we're not doing that and we're living for ourselves, there are four actions we're going to take. The first one is emotional revenge. Emotional revenge. Emotional revenge has a wide variety of applications, but all of them are based on expressing our disappointment and dissatisfaction with the other person and trying to make them feel guilty and holding them hostage to our resentment until we feel like releasing them from it. Emotional revenge. I'm going to treat you poorly. I'm going to hold a grudge against you. I'm going to communicate how unhappy I am verbally and non-verbally. And I'm going to use your failure or I'm going to use whatever I think you did that offended me as an ongoing weapon to punish you and to gain advantage. Emotional revenge loves to bring up the past. And the deeper we allow this the more we will not want to confront somebody who has hurt us in order to reconcile the situation because we're so caught up in what we are feeling and feelings are dangerous. We're so caught up in what we're feeling and how hurt we are that we are not going to take the step to try to make this better. We are just going to keep holding them hostage emotionally. The second Method we use is physical revenge and by this I don't mean actually harming the person. I don't mean actually Hurting them physically, but the net effect is the same. Let me describe what physical revenge looks like in a marriage Physical revenge in a marriage is withholding affection It's being confrontational and in your face and it's separating yourself physically from the other person With children, it means being physically intimidating and verbally abusive. In relationships or in the church, it means excluding people and making them feel like outcasts. And there's great danger in this because we don't fight this enough. We allow ourselves, because of our emotions, to get caught up and to start to react to people and to start to hurt them in some way that will kind of intimidate and, and threaten their their feeling of safety, and then that leads into the third thing, and the third thing is a very dangerous one it 's relational inve- revenge relational revenge is suddenly aggressive; it includes gossip. An accusation and character assassination. It is, it is, it has the purpose of damaging someone else's reputation and people's perception of them so that they'll be treated like a pariah and you'll be elevated. And we've all done it. Relational revenge. The motive behind it is unbelievably self-serving. And when it happens in the body of Christ, listen now, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it harms our witness and it harms our unity. So let me say this again. If someone tries to do this in your presence, call them out. If they try to pull you into relational revenge, say, I am not going to deal with that. If you have a problem with the person, you need to go directly to them. I'm not going to be in the middle of this. You go to them and you solve it. And you reconcile it. I am not going to be complicit in your relational revenge. This is vitally important for a church. That we don't allow this and this and this and this and this, little pockets of people here and there. I've served in churches where after the service is done, it's little pockets of people. And you kind of go, What are they talking about? I kind of look over at you like, (laughs) It's creepy, right? Relational revenge, where we're trying to damage somebody's character and their reputation so that we can gain advantage. And then the fourth one is very passive-aggressive and very damaging. It's called silent revenge. Silent revenge is where we get back at the person in a way that's deceptive and quiet. We don't really involve other people because we don't really want them to know what we're doing. The purpose of silent revenge is to create uneasiness within the person we're trying to hurt. In other words, they know something's wrong, but they don't know why. They know something's wrong, and when they ask, we say, nothing. Which is a complete and bald-faced lie, right? Oh, there's nothing wrong. Really? Uh, come on, it seems like, it seems like there's, there's something going on. Nope. We've never done this, right? I know I'm the only one guilty of this. There's nothing wrong. I'll tell you later. Or maybe I won't ever tell you. Maybe I'll just leave you to guess. Now, it isn't hard to see the damage we can go do through these types of revenge. So we have to ask ourselves why we do them. What is our rationale for doing damage instead of look back at the verse one more time? instead of pursuing peace with all people. What is the point of causing conflict in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church, at work, when we're commanded here in Hebrews 12 to pursue peace with all people? Why do we do this? Well, we're either feeling embarrassed to confront the person who has offended us or to apologize to somebody we've offended. So instead of making it right, we continue to hold on to the tension that's there and creates hostility. Or we're too proud and we don't want to take that step of humility to either confront or repent, forgetting the fact that God says, I oppose the proud and I give grace to the humble. But but we don't want to deal with the details of that. Or we're waiting for the other person to make the first move. That's a good one, Paul. All right, that's the one I'm going to rest on. I'm waiting for them to make the first move. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't wait for us to make the first move. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't say, hey, Rhodes, uh, let's let's show some some sorrow for your sin. And, and when you show a little sorrow and you make it up to me, then I'll come. No, he says, you were lost and abandoned and in hell, and I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to the cross for you, and I'm going to do it with joy. Why? Because I love you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even want it. You didn't even ask for it. But I'm going to do it. So we can sit back and say, well, I'm waiting for them to make the first move. And, you know, they're going to make some some recompense here. No, they don't. It's up to us to make that move. There's no way that we can defend or justify or explain away. Well, I'm not going to reconcile this relationship because I'm hurt and because they owe it to me. Yeah, that may absolutely be true. They may have caused you pain and difficulty and sadness and harshness. But that, by, by holding on to that and not trying to reconcile that, it is bringing stress to you and to everybody else. And, and people get in bondage over this. I've seen it so many times. And I've experienced it in my own life when I haven't done it. Turn over two pages to James 3. Let's draw this to a close. Because James 3 is such a great passage of Scripture. And we don't have time to fully develop this this morning. So I want to encourage you, use these verses that we're going to read. Verses 13 to 18 for your personal study this week. But but I want to just notice a couple quick thoughts here. Let's just read these six verses and then we'll develop it and pray. Who among you is wise and understanding? Notice the qualifications. This is what we want, right? We want to be wise and understanding. The alternative is to be stupid and clueless. So everybody wants wise and understanding, right? Who among you is wise and understanding? How do we show it? By good behavior in their deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But here's the contrast. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James says that wisdom is proven in our behavior, which is marked by gentleness and understanding not by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogance. And I want you to notice, look back at it as I talk, that those traits are called, quote, a lie against the truth. In other words, when those traits are in us, when we allow them to persist, that we are acting like Christians, but we're really full of self and and. And he doesn't equivocate here. He says, this is earthly, natural, and tell me the third word that's there. Demonic. That's not my word. That's the Holy Spirit's word. When you hold bitterness in your heart, when you hold selfish ambition in your heart, when you won't forgive, you won't reconcile, you won't make it right, and, and you're just full of bitterness and arrogance, he says, not only is that not Christian, it's demonic. And what would be more true of the devil than to be arrogant? And he says, here's the problem. Look at verse 18, or 16, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's also disorder and evil. Now, let's draw a contrast because we don't want to live there, right? Look at the stark contrast. He says, the holy and wise alternative. I love these words. It's like a breath of fresh air when we read these words after what we just read. The holy and wise alternative is purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, and abundance of mercy and good fruits and sincerity. That verse is what should always describe us. That verse is what should always describe describe us and look at the connection in the last verse to hebrews 12 15 remember hebrews 12 15 where he said don't let a root of bitterness where that little seed germinates look at what he says in contrast he says instead of the seed of bitterness taking root here is the seed of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who love the lord and love peace you either love peace or you love to cause problems you either love peace, I either love peace, or I love to cause problems. The difference on what we choose is a matter of where our heart was, is with the Lord. We can justify and, and defend ourselves all we want, but the spirit is clear. You can be jealous and arrogantly sow destruction, or you can be holy and humbly sow peace. Now, the enemy lies, and he says, that guy's wrong. That scripture is wrong. He doesn't know real life. He doesn't know what it's, what, 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 what your world is like. Come on now. God's not being straight with you. Just like he says in Genesis 3. God's not being straight with you. He's not telling you the truth. He doesn't understand you. He doesn't know what's going on. Listen, you need to maintain some bitterness. You need to protect yourselves. Because if you do that, it'll punish the other person. But I'm telling you, when we do that, it affects us more than it affects them. When we hold on to this, it negatively impacts our spiritual growth. Why? Because we become so self-focused. And instead of going to the Lord in prayer and saying, God, heal my hurt, you say you come near to those who are brokenhearted, so help me. And Lord, bring peace to this and reconcile this. And if I need to humble myself, Lord, I will do that. And if that person needs to humble themselves, then please break them. And and I want to be right with that. Instead of doing that, and instead of being willing to forgive the person, we just say, nope, I'm not going to do it. Too much water under the bridge. And you know what? That water is becoming a flood. You know what we need to do? We need to let it go. Now, I know as soon as I said those words that we all sang that song from Frozen. And I apologize that that's going to be stuck in your head till next Thursday. But there is a great truth to it. I've been doing this for 26 years. And I have seen so many marriages and so many friendships and so many churches irreparably damaged because people would just not let go of an issue. When repentance happened. And they kept track and they won't release the issue because their pain's being significant and they want more repentance and more recompense. And while that's understandable, it's just not biblical. Imagine if God kept saying to us, Christ died and rose again for you and you are forgiven when you repent and trust in him. But you're going to have to keep proving to me how sorry you are until I'm satisfied. Where is that in our Bible? You are forgiven. You're forgiven forever. I don't remember your sins anymore. Where is the equivocation in that? Your sins and iniquities, they're erased. They're gone. As far as the East is from West, I don't have any record of them. What do I see? I see the blood of Christ. And yet we in our relationships, oh no, you did that 12 years ago. You said that thing, it hurt me. I've sat with couples and I apologize for that like a hundred times. I know, but we have to let go go of it, if we're going to model Christ we have to offer forgiveness and when forgiveness is requested we have to grant forgiveness then it has to be done we can't keep bringing it back as relational ammunition unless we want the Lord to do that with our sin you want the Lord to bring back the 15,000 sins you've done in the last month oh Rhodes, let's look at your week, oh you've had a doozy Let me bring those sins back up to you and hold you accountable for those because you're not willing to do it in your relationships. What did Jesus say? Forgive as you've been forgiven. How can we think that doesn't apply to us when Jesus did what he did for us? We need to be humbled every single day. We need to be willing to completely forgive forever. Forever when people offend us and they repent because that's what he did for us. When we start counting offenses, we start thinking about ourselves and we start creating a problem. It is so vital. Listen now, I'm almost done. I know I'm going long. It is so vital that we have a humble and teachable spirit about ourselves instead of constantly looking at what other people have done because if we only look at what other people have done, we will never think we're wrong. And the Lord will never use that. The Lord will never use that. If you don't feel like you have a teachable and humble spirit, if you're struggling with that, listen, here's what you do. Start making a list of all the sins God's forgiven you from. Start listing all the things God's done to exonerate you from sin through Christ. And then every morning... We've got to beg the Lord. Lord, humble me today. Lord, give me a teachable spirit today. Lord, help me to walk like Christ today. I don't want to live for myself. And you know what he'll do? He'll keep pointing us back to Christ. Because Christ has done so much for us. And when we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, you're so gracious. You're so good to me we'll become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of pride, then we'll say, instead of resisting, we'll say, you're right, you're right, I'm proud. I repent of that. I don't want to be proud. I want to be humble before you because you give grace to the humble. If I'm going to experience your grace, I'm not going to do it with my back up and my arms crossed. I'm only going to get grace when I'm humble. So Lord, humble me. Oh, pray that more often. I need to pray that more often. Lord, humble me today. Humble me today. And then the last part. When we've experienced what we've experienced as people who have been saved by the amazing grace of God. We need to understand that when we are the one who has done the offending and the one who has done harm. Listen now, we have got to humble ourselves and go to the person and repent and make it right. Far too often I have seen over 26 years of doing this that that is lacking and it is why so many relationships are fractured. The one who has sinned will not humble themselves and will not sincerely act for forgiveness. And that's not just, I'm really sorry, that involves a lifestyle change. I can say I'm sorry to my wife until I'm blue in the face. She will not believe it unless she sees me change. Otherwise, just lip service. It's just, it's just patronizing her. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to do it again. Listen, is there someone this morning that you need to apologize to? Is there someone that you have offended that you need to ask to forgive you? You say, well, Paul, it's kind of too late. There's so much that's happened and it's just, no, it is never too late. Just like it's never too late to yield ourselves to Christ until the last breath comes out of our mouth. It is never too late. And it doesn't matter when you go to them and you ask for forgiveness. It really doesn't matter if they don't receive it and they don't forgive you, that's between them and the Lord. You have a responsibility. You shouldn't go another day without going to them and saying, I'm sorry. I am sorry. And person who's been offended, we're all there, right? Person who's been offended, receive it and forgive them in humility. Because if you don't, you're just as guilty as them. When somebody comes to you and says, look, I've offended you, I've hurt you, our relationship has been fractured, I am so sorry, I've held this against you. Don't say, well, it's about time. I've been waiting. Hey, you know what? I'm just as guilty. I forgive you and I ask you to forgive me for holding hostility toward you. Please, let's reconcile this. Let's not go another day, not another day, where there's fracture. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification. Who do you need to reconcile this this morning? Maybe it's you and the Lord. Maybe you've been in hostility toward the Lord and you've resented God for some reason and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Look, I can't preach this message without getting to that point. If you've offended God by your sin, it's time to reconcile it. And he's offered himself. He took the first step. And he went to the cross. And he died. And then he rose again. And he says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful. And I'm just. And I will forgive all your sin. And I'll do what? Tell me. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Forever. If you've never done that. I mean really. Come on. Not just I walked down the aisle once when I was 12. If you've never given your heart to Christ today is the day because he is willing to forgive and exonerate forever and if you've got a fractured relationship how long are you going to let it persist you have responsibility just as much as the next person are you going to keep with the bile and the bacteria are you going to get it done let's close our eyes just let the Lord speak to you just a minute more thank you for listening so well this is a hard word this morning. I know it is. It's hard for me. But this is necessary. This is necessary. How long are we going to let the fracture exist? How long are we going to let that relationship be, be unsettled? Listen, there's a war going on right now in this room. The enemy is fighting very, very hard. To remind you of the hurt. Remind you of the pain. Remind you of the, of the distraction. Remind you of, of the fact that the person hasn't been faithful how they should be. And I want to turn that around and say, think about all the things that you and I have done. There's a relationship this morning that needs to be changed is a relationship this morning, that needs to be reconciled, you need to do it today. The Bible says you really shouldn't even come to worship. You shouldn't even stand in the presence of God unless you've solved that first. The Holy Spirit is giving us an opportunity this morning to make this right. And I want to encourage you and challenge you, just as he's challenging me, we've got to make this right. And when that reconciliation takes place, you need to let it go. Be done with it. Father, we praise you this morning for the word you've given to us. Lord, it has not been easy. And yet, Lord, we know it is truth. And we know every single one of us needs it. I praise you this morning, Lord, for salvation. I praise you for the example you have given us. That having done So many things that we can't even count to offend you. That while we were still in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. And you brought reconciliation between us and you because of Christ. And Lord, we love you for that. And we praise you for that. And our lives are different because of that this morning. But now you tell us to follow your example. And, Lord, I pray that we will have the courage and the confidence to do that. I pray that we will not believe the lies of the enemy who wants to continue to divide. Lord, heal marriages this morning. Heal relationships between parent and child. Heal friendships that have been broken and divided. Heal anything in this church, Lord, that is that is disunified. Lord, we don't want to be that. We want to pursue peace and righteousness, and holiness, and gentleness, what is pleasing to you. Lord, we want that this morning. We beg you for that. So, Lord, do that work by your Spirit. We will praise you, and praise you, and praise you, and praise you. For all that you have done for us, you're such a gracious God. Lord, we don't deserve you, but we're grateful this morning that we know you. And we're grateful for your salvation. Lord, change hearts, change my heart this morning that we would love you more and love each other completely. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.